If you would, please open up with me in your Bibles to Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14. In God's good and gracious providence, now you might have noticed that uh, I made a mistake and that in the bulletin process we had Zechariah 8 here, uh, when in reality it was supposed to be Zechariah 14, but also in reality it was supposed to be Zechariah 14 verses 1 through 11 rather than verses 1 through 5. And so I'm bringing up two mistakes and maybe you would have ever known it if I wouldn't have. However, uh, God is good and I do believe he does have a sense of humor even as we enter into a very sobering topic. Uh, I, uh, as I prepare out a sermon series and things like that, I seek as God allows to go uh, fairly far out. Uh, I see uh, what pieces of scripture uh, seem to most naturally flow together. The big pastor word that nobody cares about is pericope. Uh, what are the different sections of scripture that you want to see and that, uh, that uh, uh, the Holy Spirit has seemed to coalesce into a very natural flow as we move through? And so you say, well, why in the world would he pick, for instance, you know, one through five instead of one through seven or something? And usually it makes sense. You're like, yeah, that that's right. Other times, you know, you'll, you'll stick with me and I hope realize it as we move through. But, but this time, as we're in chapter 14, the most natural flow is uh, verses 1 through 11. Because in verses 1 through 5, we get a very weighty and heavy uh, a topic, topic of suffering. Um, from there, we then see uh, this, this very um, uh, large and, and kind of almost picture style prophecy of the Lord Jesus and, and what that work does and how it enters in. And yet, as I was preparing and laboring uh, throughout this week to, um, to bring faithfully uh, the Word of God to you, God's people, I couldn't get past verse 5. I had to stop at verses 1 through 5. In fact, um, you'll see why I believe. But uh, there was there a serious main point here. We always have a main point from the Lord. But there's a serious one this morning, a sobering one. That God keeps his people, even in the midst of suffering. But there is an assumption there, and it's not one that messes us up. Because I know many of you, and I talk to many of you, and suffering, I know for many of you, is real right now. Uh, suffering, it's real all the time. It's happening in the world. Just turn on the news. We use the word bad news, right? Oh, I don't like to watch the news because it's bad news, right? But, but what we mean by that most usually is that, is that some form of suffering or pain or disrepair is happening in the world somewhere all the time, and that's what everybody's looking at. We gravitate towards it because, in a sense, we commiserate. You know, the saying, misery loves company. And so what do we do? We find all of these things, and yet... There is a critique on us, and there's also a reality at play. Suffering is all around us. Is it upon you right now? Are you trying to do what my wife uh, has helped me to understand? It's called toxic positivity. Well, somebody has it better, or rather, somebody has it worse, so my thing is probably better. You know, I don't need to be worried about my thing. I might be suffering a little bit, but somebody somewhere has it worse. Of course! Of course somebody has it worse. She calls that toxic positivity. You're not dealing with the reality of your own suffering. Are you dealing with the reality of your own suffering? Doesn't matter what age you are. College, college is back in, so I'm seeing all my people, right? So thankful for y'all. Grade school, children. You don't think children feel pain? Where are you moms and dads? 
Where are you, moms and dads? As you old get older, y'all feel it? Our main point, God keeps his people, even in the midst of suffering. You'll might see why I stopped at verse 5 this morning. Let's pray and we're going to read God's word. It is sobering, and yet it is so good for us as we see the good news and how the Lord enters into such things. Oh, Heavenly Father, God, please be with us this morning. Oh, what a heavy topic. What's, what a heavy topic that's not often brought up. And yet, God, we need, we need to be ones who are aware of the reality in the room that suffering is here with us. And so, God, please, would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears? Holy Spirit, would you work with your sword? Because we know that your sword is the word of truth and that you use it to divide between bone and marrow. You cleave us. You open us up. You scrub us. You convict us. You comfort us. And so, God, we pray that you do all of these things this morning. Let us not be the people who come in and leave not even remembering where we were. That's wholly inappropriate. And so, God, I pray that we would not be inappropriate in your eyes today but that we would be seeking to worship and glorify you as you provide something we so desperately need in a suffering place, an answer to suffering. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is God's word, chapter 14, starting with verse 1. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations, as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall be moved northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of my mountains shall reach to Azal. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, this word, it stays with us forever. It remains forever. And I say this a lot, but it's worth keeping in mind that we will have this word, Zechariah 14 verses 1 through 5, when we cross into the heavenly place. It will be preserved as perfect. That is for our good, even in heaven. Let us bear that in mind then as we remember that God keeps his people even in the midst of suffering. Remember, we're covering just this one point because we were going to be looking at something beyond here, but verses 1 through 5, I won't be splitting it out today. We just need to look at this, the problem of suffering. No matter how you slice it, I'm sure you heard it, verses 1 and 2 of our text this morning are problematic. They're not problematic because uh, they have some potential to be false or that there is some uh, uh, weighty and heavy doctrine that is argued within the fellowship of God 
or something like that. No, they're problematic because they are too true. They're too real. Power, pride, and greed don't just possibly but predominantly end up causing real loss and real suffering to real people. And that's what we see in verses 1 and 2. People are hurt by other people who have evil intention. This is the reality of a world filled with sin, of a corrupted world, the place that we live. And we know it too well. And if suffering weren't already problematic enough, we read that the Lord not only knows about it, but allows it to transpire. I hope you didn't miss it. Or worse, ignore it. The first part of verse 2, I, that is the Lord, will gather all the nations against Jerusalem. From there, these nations, not God, that's a key point. These nations choose to hurt the people of Jerusalem. But God's plan is explicit and undeniable. And he meant it that way. This is necessarily difficult for us to embrace because now we have to deal with a two-part issue. The first is the obvious, pain from suffering. But the second might be pain from confusion. Why does this have to happen? Why? Oh Lord, does it have to happen in the first place? Suffering is one of my least favorite topics to cover as a pastor. And it's not because it's difficult to explain or difficult for me to maneuver through the various texts uh, in the Bible that we have regarding uh, suffering and pain and the issues surrounding God's sovereignty or anything like that. No, suffering is one of my least favorite topics to cover as a pastor because of the difficulty it causes my people. The people of God. Pain. Just pain. You ever sat with somebody in pain? You might have been in pain. But have you ever sat with somebody in pain and you can't do anything about it? Discomfort. Discontent. Joylessness. Doubt. Despair. You ever sat with somebody during those things? To add to that, as we're thinking about this large topic of suffering, at the same time, suffering is a great sifting mechanism in the hand of God because it reveals his true followers. That is, that is only those who have the fortitude, the perseverance, the wisdom, and the humility to continue to follow after God in the midst of such pain are those who have been truly worked in by the Holy Spirit. And so it's one of my least favorite topics to cover because it's one of the most sobering for God's people. Even more, God often uses suffering to bring his people closer to him, to pull them away from the unrighteous world and push them down the path of righteousness, which is the path of life, 
especially when his people are strongly desirous to jump off that path. The stubbornness of his people reveal itself, and he uses this great suffering issue to push them out of that path of destruction and death. And yet that is sobering. And that is difficult. Paul says it like this. For this light momentary affliction, that's what he calls suffering, light momentary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And that's why we don't lose heart, is what he says. That's a tough pill to swallow, even for the Christian. Which is why it's the great sifting mechanism. All these things combined, because remember, they're not apart from one another. They're stacked and layered until it becomes a complicated mess for our finite minds to begin to try to sift through. All these things make talking about suffering even more difficult, which is why you never hear about suffering unless you're in the professional realm, either in my office on one-on-one time. Never from the pulpit. From a usual church. Unless you're with a counselor or a psychiatrist or another healthcare professional. How many spiritual professionals do you know that are willing to go there? It's because it's so difficult. Because for the one experiencing it, for the one whose life is potentially defined by it right now, some of you, for the one whose life is potentially falling apart because of it, that's some of you. We either speak into the situation too suddenly and we move past what it is that they are experiencing it or we move too suddenly from suffering to salvation. We, we just move too fast or we stay and we can't empathize well enough. When you're suffering your own suffering, What's the thing that we say the most? You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my pain. When you are a person suffering, the translation of pain into sanctification, remember I said God pulls you, right? Sometimes a little bit farther away from the world. He pulls you toward himself. He reminds you that you are a sojourner in this place, that this place is not your final destination, that there is a heavenly place that you should always have eyes on. When that happens and the suffering turns into sanctification, It'll always feel too cold if it's me or anyone else trying to do it. Why does he not care? He just keeps saying that it's okay, that the Lord's working. Likewise, when you are a person suffering, the transition away from that pain, it it always feels too fast. Why? Has he forgotten? Has he forgotten my pain? 
He didn't remember that my family member died today. It's your pain. And it hurts. What we see here is a, a period, like literally a declarative sentence period, in between verses 2 and 3 uh, that is chasmic in nature. It, the chasm is so big. It, it, it is such a large pause that just a period seems to almost not do it justice for us as the people of God. As, as I prayed through and I worked through what this reality is, don't you see it when I was reading? Just a couple seconds. Verses 1 and 2, suffering. Verses 3, 4, and 5, salvation. Cool, we're done. Let's pray. It's happened fast. It's just a regular pause. But, but as we translate that into our lives, the period in between verses 2 and 3 is a far greater gap than we might initially think. It takes a tremendous amount of maturity and wisdom and strength, which when calculated and attempted, is impossible for us to do on our own. To get from verses 2 to 3 takes a literal miracle working by God himself through his Holy Spirit, making real the work of, of Jesus Christ on our behalf, uh, because only then... Only in that moment will we have eyes to see, will we have a heart open to the reality that the Lord will go out and fight against those nations. Verse 3, that's what it says. On that day, verses 4 and 5 continue, do we see then, after we see this miracle step from verse 2 to verse 3, this period that seems like a chasm apart from the Lord, only then do we see that on that day God's protection of the suffering ones will be like a great fortress made out of a mountain itself where his people can flee for protection. Verses 4 and 5. You heard it. But we can't focus there alone. I have a very great burden on my heart. And that's why I stopped at verse 5. To prepare us, the people of God, for suffering. Because I don't need to quiz y'all to know that y'all aren't ready. And I'm not either. Because we just don't think about suffering as much as we should. And part of it is just because we don't want to. It's just something that doesn't sell. It's something that doesn't work for church growth or for the warm fuzzies that the world says you need to feel after you leave a Sunday morning worship service. Because that's all religion is, is the warm fuzzies in your tummy. Yummy, yummy, yummy. Where's Lisa at? That's not it. That's just not it. Shouldn't we take the God of the universe a little bit more seriously than warm fuzzies? But how often do we fall into it and then get slammed by the world on Monday through Saturday? Slammed. 
by the happenstance and circumstance and suffering and sickness and pain and frustration and all of these things bear up and weigh us down and we realize that we are but children who never grew into the maturity that God was calling us to. Every single time we opened up his word and found almost page by page the suffering of his people in this place. The lack of the talk about suffering, it is one of the greatest weaknesses of the 21st century church. A loss of preparation for and understanding of suffering. But it's just too serious. It does not draw crowds. You know what uh, my church planner friends would tell me right now? They'd be texting me, hoping I had my phone in my pocket. And they'd be saying, hey man, don't scare your people away. Don't scare them away. Why don't you just tell a few jokes? Get, get the mood back, man. Right? That's what I would be getting. And it's not right. And I would call them on it every time. <laughs> By the way, I am the vice chairman of ONA, and I do call them on it. It's our church planning agency. For each and every one of you who have given me a call, or sat in my office, or in the hospital, or at the deathbed, or wept, or yelled, or groaned, or sat silently, or sat in despair, you're not alone. Why don't you just look around? One of the most terrible, one of the most frightening moments of my week to week, of my day to day, is when my telephone rings. Because when my telephone rings, somebody's hurt. Period. I don't get a call for the good news. That's an email. When my telephone rings, we're in trouble. And it rings a lot. That is why we must apply this text. That's why we must take seriously the reality of suffering. Because it is looming. And it is around and it is in control of the Lord, or the Lord rather, is in control of suffering. And so we need to look at this text and we need to grip it and hold it tight and hold it close. And we're not through with it yet, but we're going to apply it right now. And these are questions you need to take home. They're questions you need to talk about with church members, with your husband or your wife, with your friends. I see college students here, high school students. You know, I did college ministry. You want to know what the number one issue I talked about was? Suffering. It's not an age thing. Y'all got to be ready because it's coming. And so hear these well. Are you actively preparing to suffer in this life? If you're assuming no suffering, you are assuming wrong. And you're going to get blacked out at the first hit. Suffering is coming. We see it right here. 
in verses one and two. Ask yourself that. Are you actively preparing to suffer? A partner with that. If we're assuming suffering, are you ready to serve others who are surely going to suffer around you? What do you think a church is? Why do we gather? We gather to worship and glorify the Lord. There are other benefits, though. There are gifts that I don't have that others have. And so then, all of a sudden, we have something more. There's something beautiful that plays out as God works in these multiple and varied graces and gifts. That's another thing. But there's more. There's care. What happens at a church when someone suffers? You gather around that individual. You not only pray, you not only share God's word, but there is a simple gathering. Sometimes it looks like Job, where his friends gather and sit. Sometimes it looks like Job and your friends gather and sit and then talk a little bit when they shouldn't. Uh, that happens. And yet other times it looks like uh, um, the Lord wrapping uh, his own hands around you, but his hands are all of a sudden the people of God. And you make it through what you feel like you couldn't have made through with if you would have been on your own. But are you ready? Are you actively thinking about what it means for you to care for others who are suffering? Do you even have an eye for it? Have you ever thought that before in your life? Are other people around me suffering? How can I care for them? Number three, is your faith mature enough to question God without sinning against God? If if you say yes, if you say yes, my faith is mature enough, I would caution you to be careful. Pride does come before the fall, not to say that you aren't mature enough uh, to question God without sinning. But if you say yes, I'd still encourage you to listen to the no. If no, I would say that you need to pick up God's handbook on suffering. And if you want God's handbook on suffering, you won't find it uh, anywhere else but his word, and his word is the Bible. In almost every book of the Bible, you will find something regarding the issue of suffering, something regarding the issue of sin, something regarding the issue of pain. And yet, if you were looking for a specific place to go, somewhere to start, I would encourage you to go to the Psalms. And if you go to the Psalms, you might realize that God's Word there is perfectly recorded, but it, it's man's Word to God. For instance, King David saying, why, O oh Lord, would you do this to me? What? Can he do that? <laughs> but it's recorded and it's perfect. And as I mentioned before, you will have it in heaven. And so, yes, it's okay. How does that work? Start in the Psalms and use God's handbook to begin to answer the question, is your faith mature enough to question God without sinning against God? Our minds are finite. God's mind is infinite. Therefore, we cannot fully ever know what God's mind is. And yet, he has given to us his word, which reveals infinity in a way that we can comprehend it. Why don't you take that sentence and graph it out for me? It's a biggie. And yet, it's a reality that we have infinite truth placed into a finite set. Psalms is a great place to start if you're working through what in the world that means. Is your faith mature enough to question God without sinning? And then finally, our fourth application. Has your faith matured enough to humbly submit to God's sovereignty and plan? This is the biggie. This is the sifting mechanism. 
This is the moment where either pain and suffering, the world through those things, or God and following after him will triumph. This moment, if your faith has matured enough to when suffering slams into you, which it will, that is why you're preparing. That is why you're caring for others. That is why you're learning how to ask questions without sinning. Because this moment is coming where you have to have the maturity enough to humbly submit to the control of God who is bringing the nations towards you, not causing them to choose to do what they did, but then allowing what happens to take place. Is it mature enough to submit to that? In 1871, some of you might be familiar with this, Horatio Spafford, uh, he's a, a businessman, uh, a, 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 a Christian who's desirous to see the gospel proclaimed. He's in the orbit of, uh, of D.L. Moody, if y'all are familiar with like the Moody Bible Institute uh, of Moody. Okay, so this guy is kind of in the midst of this stuff. Horatio Spafford, he watched the majority of his worldly investments literally burn to the ground in the great Chicago fire of 1871. He had put, I mean, well over the majority of his financial gain into uh, uh, the infrastructure of Chicago, and it's gone. He lost it all. That same year, he lost his four-year-old son. Two years later, in 1873, uh, speaking of that fire, he had to stay behind to deal with some zoning issues. And he sent his wife and his four girls ahead of him by ship uh, across the Atlantic Ocean to England where he was going to meet D.L. Moody that they might go about their crusading and proclaiming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a shipwreck at sea. And all four of his daughters died. The telegram is famous now. His wife sent the message, I survived alone. I survived alone. Horatio, trying to get to his wife, who is now in England and grieving, uh, coming across that place uh, where, the ship, uh, where the shipwreck happened, where these two ships collided and a wreck took place. His daughters had died. And while he was passing along this approximate place, pondering upon this immense spiritual and physical suffering, this is what he wrote. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Has your faith matured enough to humbly submit to God's sovereignty and plan? If you think Horatio Spafford is unique, if you think he is a unicorn on this earth and that those things don't happen, please look around you because it is happening in this congregation right now. Not even throughout the course of my ministry or the church's history. I'm talking about in the present. This is reality. 
The preparation in life to get to this point is significant, requiring true commitment to God that only comes from God himself. But it is among the many at least one answer of why we do the things we do. Why do you think the pastor wants you to come and worship? Of course, I want God to get glory. But I want him to get glory from eternity from you. I want his sheep to come home. Why do you think your pastor wants you to come to the Bible studies? It's not just to pad the numbers. Nobody's counting the numbers. Who cares? We got who we got. And my prayer is that we keep who we have. That's right. I say amen. Has your faith matured enough to humbly submit to God's sovereignty and plan? Because I have to tell you, as your pastor, it's coming. It's came for many of you. I know it has. And it's still coming. Let's finish this off. Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2. Famous psalm. Uh, a psalm of ascents. You sing it when you were walking up the mountain to go to Jerusalem. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Jesus had a custom where he went to a certain place. There, at this place, he taught on things as high as heaven, as low as hell, and in the middle, he even wrestled with his own humanity in this place. He prayed, he taught, and he revealed to his disciples how far he was willing to go to save his people when he was betrayed in that place. He put up no fight. Actually, he went willingly to his own great suffering. A suffering so immense that he has the capacity to now look at each and every one of his people. Those people who are confessing in the Lord Jesus Christ to look at them in the eye and to say, I have experienced the suffering and the pain that you are now experiencing. And I've done it perfectly because I know you can't. And I've paid the price for you that you might come and be with me. Your weaknesses are no more. The Lord sees you as strong for he sees me when he sees you. That's what the gospel is. And that's what Jesus did. And it all started here in this place. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. Why do you think he went there? Jesus knew why he should go there. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the Mount shall move northward, the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains. Suffering is real. Sometimes we can understand it because we bring it on ourselves. Other times we misunderstand it. Not realizing a larger picture of life that only God can see. Still other times we rage against it. Forgetting our God's good nature. 
and allowing our own sin of pride to overtake us, thinking, thinking that we know better than Almighty God. And if you don't think you could do it, you can do it. Especially when you're hurting. Only by the Holy Spirit working in us can we, in the midst of seeming uncertainty, in pain and in suffering, in grief, in trial, in temptation, and all of the other onslaught from the world, only by the Holy Spirit working in us can we say with Zechariah in verse 5, Then the Lord my God will come. He will come. That is my desperate prayer for the people at Centennial. Listen, I love it that we get to share the gospel of Jesus to the people that are around us. I love it. But if that is all we do, we are not doing it right. Because we need to go forth evangelizing and discipling that we might reveal that we have a reality before us that is not okay and that Jesus came to take care of that. But we are not in the heavenly place. We are in the earthly realm where not only powers and principalities, but the corruption of the world itself does us harm, period. We have to be ones who are okay with talking about suffering because suffering is all around us. It's in the room. And dear Christians, please don't be ones who ignore the freight train coming your way. Be ones who speak diligently of God's word and of God's working. Be ones who come alongside one another. Be ones who are preparing. Be ones who find joy even in the midst of trial, recognizing that there is a weight of glory coming down upon us that causes us no matter what to see, a reality of light and a place of darkness. And when we are ones who can show others the new day dawning, not only in our own heart, but in all of those that are around us, when we show that as a people, that is the light on the hill. That is the evangelism. That is the moment where we show the world that we're not playing around, that we're not a joke, and that this is serious. And with serious things come serious answers and serious topics. Don't shy away from it. Let's be bold, because our Lord is bold, and we got it here in 14, 1 through 5. But we're not done worshiping yet. Let me pray, and then we're going to sing and take Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, please, would you show us how we can move and breathe in you? Because this world is suffocating. And yet you give us life. And you give us life everlasting. You answer the pain. And you show us, even with hard truths, a reality that this isn't our home. Our home's yet to come. And that we are sojourners together. Thank you for our togetherness. May we see it in just a moment. In Jesus' name, amen.